Musician Mindset is brought to you by PossibleChops.com, a library of expert-level drumming vocabulary lessons. To receive your first month of pro membership for free, visit PossibleChops.com forward slash Musician Mindset. So what do you start with one of your shitty jokes? (laughs) 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 Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians, leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical journey. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, we're live. Hello. So, Jason. Yes. (laughs) Did you hear about the Roman who walked into the bar, held up two fingers and said, I'll have five beers, please. (laughs) Oh. It's a Roman numeral joke. That's my least favorite Dave Johnston joke. It's a V. He wants five beers. Roman numeral. I thought you were going with a Roman Catholic hit on my Catholic origins here. Oh, my goodness. Hello. Here we are. Wow. Nice and loose on a whatever day today is. Yeah. We're loose. We're here with Nick Petrillo. How are you guys? For an alcohol edition of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's happy right now. Um, Nick is our first return guest. Yes. Nick was... Uh, Welcome we back. Were, yeah, we were just saying, I think, our second guest ever on the show when we started. So no need for much of an intro. Go back and listen to that episode if you didn't already check it out. The reason we have called this meeting to order today, Nick Petrillo, is we want to talk about being a music director. Oh, Music man. director. Yes. This is an much... interesting topic that... <clears throat> You and I have had many uh, versions of this conversation, and I think we've had a lot of conversations where I think, oh, that would have made a great podcast. Exactly. So here we are. We're going to do it. Um, I hope the good stuff comes out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Another drink? We can get you there. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The the sad thing is that it's actually noon. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. It's 1230. (laughs) It's 1230. (laughs) (laughs) So... Let's just start, uh, for people who may not be familiar with the term or what all this job really entails, can you just start by giving us an explanation, uh, what is a music director? Sure. Um, I've been thinking a, a lot about this since we, since you first gave me this question. Um, I think a music director is basically a liaison. That's what I think of it as, you know, the middleman, um, between the artist and players. And that can go as far as being a liaison between um, the venue, if you have to take on, you know, sound duties, or if you need to take on um, vocal directing abilities, which is another job. Um, You can really, it it can go as little as organization and as big as just taking full on control of the music, Um, which I think is an amazing thing because it's not I don't think there's really a, a hard and fast definition for what a music director is. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's different. Um, you and I both music direct various different things, and it never totally looks the same in two different situations. It's always going to be something different. But I think that's a good overview of what you said. There, there needs to be one point person when you're working with an artist and then a group of hired musicians. We're not talking about bands in the traditional sense we're talking about an artist hiring their players it's really helpful to have one person who's the point person so that you don't get a situation of having like too many cooks in the kitchen and too many opinions coming at everyone and all this kind of stuff 
So to be able to have someone and for the artist's sake to have one person go, Hey, is the band available Tuesday for rehearsal? Hey, is blah, 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 whatever. Gets the artist out of the weeds a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And it just kind of like streamlines the whole process mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah. And it's also has a lot to do with the artist's vision. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that artists don't have a music, you know, the ability to speak musically to their musicians. I'm just saying the uniformity of what they want, that's your job is mm-hmm. to explain that to everybody else involved right. in the musical side of things. Yeah. Cause a lot of times you've been working with them for longer and more closely and maybe the rest of the band gets brought in just for the last couple rehearsals. Exactly. And, and so you have a better sense of, uh, like you said, like the big picture vision of the project and things like that. Exactly. And then it gets to the question of how you effectively communicate that to your musicians. Yes. So let's talk about that a little bit. So as far as communication is concerned, I am a huge guy on, quote unquote, the written word. Mm -hmm. So I love charts. I love arrangements. And I work more on that angle as far as, um, you know, I'll hand the band the MP3, maybe of the demo of what myself and the artists have been working on, or the demo of the original. But in the end, I feel like, you know, they need a, there has to be uniformity. You know, the band needs to be looking at, the form and the chords and any hits, any musical moments that we've created, that needs to be written down so that then we can actually start the work. You know, that's the baseline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm contract, let's go back to contracting the band. Cause I feel like that's important. Um, I heard once, or I think I probably read it in Quincy's biography he said, the work is done once you hire the right players. And I kind of live by that at this point. You know, yeah. like if you're a producer, you're a music director, once you hire the right players, you should be golden. So that's really what it is. Am I hiring a jazz band? Am I hiring a jazz guitarist? Am I hiring a rock guitarist? Am I hiring a, a, a guy that has maybe jazz influences but is more in the R&B world? What, what is this artist trying to portray? Mm-hmm. And I need to hire those guys in order to do it. And then once that's done, organization, you know, making sure that the guys have everything needed for success. You know what I mean? You have to set them up to succeed. If you're, if they're showing up to rehearsal and all they've done is heard the originals, you have a lot of work to do in rehearsal. Right. Um, So just making sure that your players are on the same page during this in in parallel with you working with your artist. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Can you talk about your process for that? Because you have a very streamlined and efficient method of using Dropbox and pushing out chart updates when needed and things like that. Sure. Um, So what I do uh, immediately, let's just take, for instance, if I'm, you know, I'm working with an artist, just one on one with the piano and the band's coming in the, you know, the the week before Um, I'll be working with the artist and immediately upon getting the song, I'll chart it out for myself. I'll throw that in Dropbox as a V1. Any updates, key changes, form updates, I edit those, I push them in as V2. And generally, as you guys know, once I share, I say, check your updates, you know, because I want you to have the material. I want you to be able to listen to it because it may not be a song you're familiar with, but there may be a V7, you know, the week before the gig. Just make sure you have the updates. Um, So as I am working with the artist, I am sending all of that material at the same time to my band. Right. Yeah. And that's the beauty of Dropbox is <clears throat> it gets pushed to everyone r- right away, right? As you do it. Yes. And you have a, I know that you have a reason behind 
saving version numbers as opposed to just constantly updating one chart like here's the new right. version you save every version along the way that's v1 v2 yes. different versions so what's the method behind that well um i guess the the easy answer to that is a lot of times you do go back to maybe version three if you're on version five because you've played with it so much mm-hmm. that a little bit of the heart is gone from it right. so sometimes you have to revert back to v3 but i i guess the reason for the band having that is for confusion's sake i mean they need to know, like, you know, this song is at V, you know, version seven. This is the the current one that we're working on. Right. And then I also date it at the top mm-hmm. under, you know, under the artist's name, you know, whatever date we've been working on it from. Right. Um, it's just a way to make sure that nobody is confused going into that first rehearsal. Yeah, that's great. You know? And then you also, like you said, when the artist says, oh, I like the way we did it last week, you don't have to go, oh, crap, well, I wrote over that. Exactly. I have to redo, you know, you there just have, you save yeah. it. Yeah. And also something I do for myself, and you know this, my chart library is massive at this point. Mm-hmm. So I've saved everything. I probably have about, probably about 1200 charts at this point of just cover tunes, jazz tunes that have been done by certain people. Like mm-hmm. I have a Diana Crawl library. That's all Diana's arrangements of it. And what I do, usually my V1 is just the song charted, like the original, whatever it is charted. And then you can modify from there. And then my V2 is the changed keys or whatever it is. Right. But my, I call them bass charts. Mm -hmm. Those wind up in my library for safekeeping. Right. Because if I need to pull something for an artist, another thing that's great with Dropbox is sometimes you're on gigs, you know, Mm -hmm. you're on a casual or whatever. I have all these charts in my Dropbox and it's like, oh, you want to pull, you know, I don't know, like, um, like you want to pull Diana's Deed I Do arrangement. You know, right. I just go right in there and I pull it right in to four score, which we yeah. all use, which we should talk yep. about at some point. Yep. And, uh, and bam, you know, we have it. And yep. if I need to send that over to the band, you just airdrop it over. Yep. You know, and it's so simple and streamlined. And I don't, it's not that I don't have to work as hard anymore. It's that I've kind of done the work already. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and I've prepared it. And I think it's yeah. worth emphasizing the Dropbox issue to people because yes, that's so critical. If and you so, use it right, it is. Yeah, I know well, a lot of people. You who have don't. to be able to use it right, and yeah, it's just so critical to how all of us work at this point. Yeah, and for so many reasons, and like you said, even like non-gig things, just yeah. life things, I have moved really my whole workflow into Dropbox exactly. because it's a backup, man. It's a backup. Yeah. It's accessible everywhere. Exactly. I yeah. can change it on my laptop yeah. and it's on my iPad and it's on my phone, you know, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But the ability to also share mm-hmm. anything with anybody at any time from anywhere, it's yep. huge. And I feel it's kind of like misunderstood. I agree. With people and misused actually a I lot. Agree. Is there a preference over Google Drive? No, I'm happy you said that, dude, because I I just really don't like the format of Google Drive. Mm. And maybe it's that I haven't played with it enough, but I, the, the immediacy of Dropbox, where if you have the app on your phone or on your desktop, you get updates immediately. Like if Dave changes something in one of his artist's folders... While I'm working or writing emails, I see Dave Johnston has just yeah. moved however many files. And I could see that immediately. Like, what's being, and you even hit me up. You're like, oh, you've changed some of the files in this artist. Like, right. And sh- I saw it. I saw the notification before you even yeah. told me. Yeah. And sometimes you make your notes 
Right. Like, because I'm sometimes putting these up two hours before rehearsal. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And you're like, dude, how much has changed? Do I have to change notes? Right. And it's helpful because you know that an update's happened and you can hit me up in an emergency and say, do I need to download these? Whereas with Google Drive, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I, if they send me the link, that's the only way I know if things have been updated. I can't really see updates within Google Drive as they're happening in real time. Do you? Can you if, the, if the document's open, you can. If the document's Great. open, but, okay. But there's not like a notification uh, outside of that. Yeah. So I see that advantage. So yeah. it, when you're selecting uh, a new musician for a group, right. someone you haven't worked with, yeah. is it required that they have to have that Dropbox? No, no, no. I don't. Technology, I never require people to have. Mm -hmm. It's it's very much more on a musicianship standpoint. But, you know, we just played with a guitarist uh, a few days ago that did not have an iPad, did not have Foursquare downloaded. And he used paper charts, so it was fine. Um, but we kind of converted him. I mean, yeah. just seeing the ease of use on, like through the system that Dave and I use. Do you know yep. what I mean? Yep. Um, I, but no, I never make it mandatory. You know, if somebody doesn't have Dropbox, I will go out of my way to make a folder and send it over to them. Mm -hmm. And I'll even print charts. I mean, I. I very much still go old school. I still print and tape and make scores. I just did a string session where I had to do all that. Yeah. Um, but I will say at the – things are just moving so fast-paced now, man. It's like, you know, if you're doing a big production show, I'm never not doing updates up till an hour and a half before we're hitting stage. Yeah. I mean, we'll do stage updates as well, but sometimes I'm furiously on my laptop – you know, backstage, just making yeah. updates, uploading them, and then we go on stage. And, and then if on. you've got five guys, you have to reprint copies oh, of that. It would be impossible. That would be not, impossible. It's not possible. I yeah. mean, if if you need to make a transposition on the spot, you know, say your vocalist is under the weather and you got to move it down a, a whole step because they yeah. just they don't have that range right now. Um, I mean, it's if you don't have four score and and I'm not just handling it, then yeah. you got to transpose that. Say transpose it. Well, and another thing for me on like the <clears throat> Dropbox versus Google Drive yeah. question, with a lot of these different platforms and services like Dropbox or Spotify right. or whatever, honestly, man, I just go with um, what everyone else is using. Exactly. Not yeah. because I want to like be like everyone, but because right. I need to be compatible with right. what everyone, you know, um, Fourscore is another one. I mean, you know, for a long time I used a different app yeah. other than Fourscore yep. and then you and like pretty much everybody else I work with yeah. is like four score, four score. Yeah. I'm like, okay, fine. I just got it just to be yeah. compatible so that we could share things more easily. Exactly. And just all of that, it just kind of streamlines everything. Yeah. And so I think at this point, maybe five years from now, none of us are talking about Dropbox, but right. maybe that's something, else. something else. But right sure. now I really think it's valuable to look at what all of your peers are doing and what mm. everyone is working on yeah. and use that same thing because like, just make it easier on yourself. You know? mm -hmm. I was just going to jump in and say that as yeah. well. Which is, it, it, you have to adapt to yeah. the situation and not just think, Thanks. oh, I have my own system. And then, yeah. you know, because if 30% or 40% yeah. of the band is is not doing what everybody else is doing, then it just right. causes more problems for the musical director. So it does, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> if, if most of your your ensemble is yeah. using your system, right? Yeah. They they've chosen to do it, right? Yeah. But then you have a guy that that is like, yeah, but this is how I do it, right? And it is a little bit of extra work for you, yeah. Honestly, how much um, does that factor into them getting rehired? It I, I would if they 
aced the job and they were awesome musically, they will always get a callback. I mean, <laughs> not to make a joke about it, but we even joke about this within our, you know, Ahmet doesn't have an iPhone mm-hmm. and we, you know, we like to, I message each other in the group right. chat and we, we bust a little bit about, <laughs> oh man, you know, we can't do the iMessage chat room. It doesn't mean I'm not going to hire a bass player on, that you know, has an yeah, iPhone. Yeah. I, I yeah. would always hire Ahmet and to be honest, there are some subs for Dave that I've used that are awesome drummers that still go with paper. And I, you know, my second call for you, if mm-hmm. I, if Dave's not in town, I'll hire him and I will go to FedEx Kinko's and I mm-hmm. will print and I will tape and take that money out of my end mm-hmm. just to have him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know, I mean, from the horse's mouth, from a lot of these people, the, the way we do gigs, and you could back me up on this, there is no downtime between songs. You know what right. I mean? The, it, <clears throat> the minute one is done, the next one's getting counted off, or there's p- patter and somebody's got to do something or whatever is happening. The paper is, it actually hurts the process way more. Yeah. Because number one, you got to get your charts in order, which in four score, once they're in order, they're in order. You don't even have to have a set list. Anymore. And when you have to change the order, it's extremely easy to, sh- to change the yeah, order. Yeah, you're just moving. Yeah. And there, um, I'm going to tell this story and not, and not say the guy's name, but there was a sub for Dave at the W one night. And the W gig was probably the fastest paced gig I've ever done. It's about 25 songs. You're just moving. Yeah. I mean, there was no downtime. We buttoned one song, you were counting in, or I was playing, or we all on click, it was happening, right? This guy, great drummer, union guy, um, needed all his charts printed. I printed them out, made the book for him, right? I taped everything, and halfway through the set, we're like three songs down, and he's like literally just taking music off the stand, throwing it down, and here's the next one, throwing it down. You know yeah. what I mean? He's moving it. Like, I'd say four or five songs into the set, the the stand just tilts back, all his music falls Dude. off. This guy's just trying to keep a like a backbeat going, yeah. picking up papers Nightmare. on the floor. Everything's out of order now. I mean, I'm and I'm just freaking because I'm like, dude, maybe you should just lay out for verse <laughs> chorus, do this, and right. come back in because you're not gonna be able to play the rest of this gig. I right. mean, there's because we there's no time for you to correct that. Well, and I think that's you know. a great question. How much does that factor into you hiring somebody? Yeah. Because you're actually a lot more lenient about that than I am. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, there are guys, because to me, there are so many good people that can do the gig. Yeah. And I'm like, I, there's a guy in particular, I'm like, you know, if I call him, I'm going to be printing charts. I'm going to be making a book. Yeah. yeah. If I call this guy, I drag a folder into Dropbox. I mean, come yeah. on, you know, a lot of people can do the gig and it's, I so agree, I would yeah. just say just to, yeah. you know, you, you and I are different in that, I guess, yeah. but like also to look at the flip side of that coin for musicians wanting to be hired, like yeah. do yourself a favor and do everything you can to get on board with the music director's workflow and method of doing things. Right. Because yeah. that's a huge takeaway for people listening is yeah. don't be the guy who's like, I'm set in my ways and this is how I do it. Be the guy who's like, cool, man, how do you like to work? Great. You know, cause there's going to be, you know, man, it's an investment. I mean, it's the same thing with ear rigs, you know, when we got our ear rigs, it's like, yeah. Put the $1,500 out there and get yourself an in-ear rig, man, because not everybody's going to come with an Aviom. Not everybody's going to come with their own wireless system. Yeah. You know, just get your transmitter. Mm-hmm. Talk to this. And I tell you, like, y- your ears are going to sound better. It's just better for you. Yeah. I know it's a big investment. Like, the iPad is a big investment. Right. But, man, I I job. live by the iPad. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. n- I'm never not without. You know what I mean? Yeah. My entire library is on that yeah. iPad. 
in which yeah. it's worth saying uh, it's obviously backed up all kinds of Absolutely. different ways. Yeah. And like we were talking about the other day, when um, I have an important gig that I'm running off the iPad, I do, you know, I do print paper charts. Yes. I do have a backup because yes. you can't rely on the fact. I mean, it happens, man. Your iPad will die or whatever. Yeah. So you you want to be <clears> careful <throat> about relying on it exclusively. But in terms of something that yeah. it can just really make it more efficient for you. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And also can we maybe hit on this for maybe five minutes? Cause I know <laughs> there's going to be some haters right now. Once I say this, the iPad allows me to use my system of never using a back repeat, never using a code, oh, yeah, never yeah, using yeah. a DS. I don't know if we talked about this on my last podcast, but I understand it's an educational tool and it was, it's been used since written music was created. Back repeats in today's day and age serve no other purpose than to confuse the person, okay? Um, if you're reading a musical, absolutely. Maybe you have a vamp section, you know, whatever. But if you have, say, a 16-bar chorus rather than 8-bar chorus, just write the extra 8 out again, man. I mean, just do it. And my other philosophy with that, with that is if you're, if you're doing a true repeat, say, you're doing, say it's verse 1, chorus 1, and you're doing a back repeat to verse 2, that means that everything that you just played stands. And come on, has that ever happened? I mean, verse two, yeah. in order to, to heighten the music, usually has a hit, usually has a dynamic shift, usually right. has somebody falling out, usually has something. So rather than saying back repeat, hit second time, right. just use the bottom of that page, man. And since I'm not printing anymore, and it just winds up being a written sheet you know, through, through written, we're not wasting paper, you know? Yeah, well, and I think, you know, you were the first one that turned me on to this concept, but the more I've thought about it, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think the idea of using DSs and repeats and codas and things, it came from when people were actually writing music exactly. by hand yep. and Save or, paper. you know, saving paper. Mm -hmm. and, you know, if it's... Not if having you to write a, it again. If you have a two, three-page chart and you have a DS from the end of page mm -hmm. three to the beginning of page one, it's fine. You can look at it all. Sure. Well, on an iPad, that sucks. Yeah. You got to go back three pages. Yeah. You know, you're looking at one page at a time. So... I think it's a good point you make your charts read left to right. Absolutely. Always. Nope. With yeah. no, and the other thing is too, if you have verse one chorus and that's 16 bars, as opposed to a back repeat, mm -hmm. you select bar one, you select bar 16, Bam. copy, and paste, copy and paste and you do it again. Absolutely. And you don't have to any, have any of this like second time. Yeah. And, that's so funny, and this whatever. goes back to exactly what I said at the beginning of this interview, which was I need my players to succeed. Yeah. And, through all of the mayhem that's happening on a gig or in a rehearsal, you looking at me, retardandos, cellarandos, a tempos, yeah. the artist going somewhere that you didn't know she was going to go to right. or he was going to go to, um, all of that stuff happening, why would you throw yeah. Eric Calver a grenade into the mix <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have to? Right. You know what I mean? Just read the paper down. And also, like, it's uniformity. always like, oh, do we take the repeat on the DS? Do we not? Yeah. Yeah. Or like that, you know, repeat. And then there's a little three time there. You know what I mean? Right. How many gigs have I been on where somebody hasn't played it three times? Yeah. They just autumn, oh, it's a two time repeat. No, it's right. not. Right. But that's an extra thing you now have to read right. on top of the hits and the crazy chord changes. And, you know, where else are we going? Yeah. It's just not worth it, man. Well, I think that's a good you know. segue into something else I wanted to talk to you about, which is, you're talking about giving the people you hire every opportunity to succeed. I know you have some good thoughts about how you also 
get the best out of the people you're hiring, yeah. like that being an example. Yeah. But even more like philosophical things and your approach to people and things like that. Yeah. Um, man, philosophy of music directing. Well, let me get, <laughs> let me, okay. Let me give you a yeah, more yeah. specific thing to yeah. talk about. Let's say somebody is not doing what you want or not doing it in the way that you want. And you have to yeah. figure out how to address that without yeah. um, them shutting down or this kind of thing. Yeah. Well, let me preface this by saying if we were all on a high end gig and that's a terrible way to start this because now I'm putting, I'm putting gigs in the categories. Um, <clears throat> there's a certain amount of how far can I push people to be perfect? Okay. Um, I used to, when I was rehearsing, stop at every little thing that wasn't working. You know, if the drum groove isn't working, second bar, I would tell Dave to stop and we would, we would end the song. Um, now my philosophy with this is I've given you guys everything in the Dropbox. We're in rehearsal. You count the tune off. Unless there is something happening that is completely detrimental to the song. I feel like the quartet or the group of us, however many people it is, needs to play this song down and just read it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Once the reading has happened, I can give notes, but I, I think you probably remember this when I was at the W if, if I am stopping and I'm, and I'm, I'm overcorrecting too much, it's throwing a very bad energy into the mix of the band. Mm Mm-hmm. And I stopped doing that because you, you, what happens when you continue to hit players over the head with their inconsistencies or things that you may not like immediately, you're, you're just, you're ruining the energy in the room and you're not making them want to work for you. Right. As opposed to maybe that first chorus, they, if you've hired the right guy, they have a musical mind to know that that was wrong and they're going to try something different in the second chorus. Right, so you're giving them space to explore you're a little bit too. Trusting in their yeah. professionalism. You, you absolutely yeah. need to, man. Yeah. Because if I say that drum groove is wrong, well, now you're even scared to try something close to that. Right. Because I've already thrown you under the bus on that in front of the artists, in front of the production team, in front of everybody. Right. As opposed to letting you play it out and then saying, man, you know that it just wasn't, it wasn't perfect. Let's try this, this, and that and move it into this. And give a direction. Yeah. yeah. And give you a direction. Yeah. And then what happens over the course of that is we're all trying to formulate this together and it continues to get compressed and compressed until you get your finished product. Um, now, let me caveat all of that by saying if you're playing the wrong rhythm, if the song is at the wrong tempo, if if there's just like drastic problems with what's happening – Yes, I'm going to stop by the fifth bar and be like, guys, all right, we're too slow. That rhythm's off. Uh, you know, whatever's happening. Right. And just get all that out, uh, you know, finished off and then continue going. Um, however, here's another caveat. Sometimes you're with an artist where what's happening just isn't working at all. I mean, and if that's the case, then you do have to stop and go. and You need to correct things as they're going. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, and here's another – the beautiful thing about I think the way I do it now is you will find these little diamonds in the rough of things you never thought were going to work. You know what I mean? Maybe that groove that you started in like the intro works really well for the bridge. And I had never thought of that. So it's, and now you can piecemeal it together in a way because you've hired the right people to do it. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I, I want to talk about the the, yeah. the crossover from yeah, yeah. how you used to do it to now this new philosophy. Can yeah. you talk about the, that that transformation? Yeah, so I guess uh, you can listen to Nick Petrillo part one, which was when I was a little bit crazed and, you know, always on the edge of my seat. And, and uh, you know, I was just, I was a, a very East Coast music director, I guess you could say, right? Um, and I... It, it, I think it I think it comes from a confidence level. You know what I mean? I think it comes almost from I don't feel secure enough in what I'm doing, so I'm going to lay into everybody and make sure it's perfect right off the bat. Because you know, I think there is an in, inward part of me that's like, "Oh, this isn't working. It's my fault. It's the chart. It's you know, um I'm not a good music director. I'm not explaining things right or whatever." Right. And because of that lack of confidence, you're stopping and starting and forcing perfection instead of allowing that creative process to continue and finding the quote unquote perfection in the song. Cause you know, songs are, you're never going to find the perfection, man. I mean, that's part of the beauty of live music, man. It's not EDM. You know right. what I mean? You're not trying to create something perfect. Right. You're trying to get close to it. Yeah. You know, um, so I think that, I think it just comes from, and you know, it also comes from what I said, the lack of results from doing that, you know, getting players who were just really, were not delivering for me because they just lost their confidence on stage, you know, like, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want that. You know what I mean? Well, we've and all it, played for, for uh, either band leaders or music directors or artists who yeah, dude. micromanage you so to the point much. where you're really like scared to yeah. do one wrong thing or yeah. you don't ever think that anything yeah. you do is going to be good enough. Exactly. And then it's just diminishing returns exactly. because nobody feels confident yeah. to even like put their own voice into it. Exactly. Yeah. How, uh, how, yeah. I'm sorry to cut oh, you off, please. but, but yeah. so one of the things we're always trying to extract yeah. your exercises that, yeah. that early stage musicians sure. are, are can can use and do. Yeah. So if it's if it's a confidence thing and an mm-hmm. experience thing to get you to this point, yeah. how how would the 19-year-old Nick work on this? Man, you know, I think it's I think it is experience. I think if if there's anybody out there who's young, you know, in the, in high school right now that wants to be a band leader, I'd say get in front of bands and well, listen to go back to all mm-hmm. everybody else who's talked here. Listen to the great artists that you've heard and extract what you love from them. You know, like I grew up listening to you know Billy Joel and Elton John and and all those great pianists and their evolution through sound. You know, so get that and get that in your system of what the great sounds sound like. And then when you're with your band, you know, your high school band or your college band or whatever. After you've listened to a take of, of you know, somebody performing the chart live, come up with some positive feedback to the band on how to alter it to get the sound better. I mean, because that's what music direct music direction is rarely. That was awesome. Let's do it again. I mean, it's the same thing with studio work. I mean, if you you're doing take one with a vocalist and you're saying awesome, let's do it again. I mean, you're not giving direction. You right. know what I mean? You're not helping the process. They could do it themselves that way. <laughs> you know and, I mean? and just like working with vocalists for all musicians, yeah, yeah. It, you know, even not just vocalists, yeah. you really have to become like a psychologist and figure out very much so the type. That's really the gig. Yeah. It's like knowing the, the temperament of the people you're working with, managing and, people. Yeah, you're, that's what you're doing. Yeah. 
So what I would say is, you know, for the young music directors, it's just get in front of the band and don't be afraid to give feedback. Make it positive. Don't get in people's faces, but be a likable figure. Be mm-hmm. somebody that people that be a leader, somebody that people can look up to that has a good instinct for music and um, and get the best out of your players because that's what the gig is, yeah. you know? I was hoping you would hit on that because yeah. so much of being an MD yeah. is leadership, Absolutely. right? And and leadership is across the board yep. and, and not just music, but anything. So are there any books or podcasts or things that you've been consuming that have uh, helped strengthen your leadership ability? <laughs> Man, you, you guys are probably going to laugh at me. I read a lot of history. I just love history. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, the yeah, like, you know the great the great leaders of of the world you know what i mean like julius caesar and all these all these huge figures i mean it's just i don't really re- i don't listen to a lot of the podcasts that dave listens to you send me some but i don't subscribe mm. to them i should say you know what well, i mean they're not about star wars so exactly i mean i listen to <laughs> yeah i listen to a lot of rfr only rebel force radio <laughs> over here <laughs> um no you know it i don't think it comes from a book man i think it comes from being a people person, you know, I've, and that's something that I, you know, personally, that's something that I've had to grow into myself. I used to be really quiet and shy when I was growing up and it's the assertion becoming a leader is less about pumping your chest and being like, look at me, I'm the guy that you should all be looking up to. And it's more of having the camaraderie between all of you music and a respect mm-hmm. between all your musicians that they actually do look up to you. Sure. You know, and I think, you know, in Dave and my circle, as far as working, that's why we always have a good working relationship as far as MDs and working under MDs that are that we may be working under mm-hmm. is we have that mutual respect for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, so when Dave is MDing Aubrey, I trust him as my music director. You know, it's not that I'm it's not that I'm saying, oh, you know, I, I could do this job better. Or look at me. I'm music director. It's no, I have a respect for you in what you do in your job. And that allows me to be led by you. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you know, like plunging us into a topic that we've yeah. talked about so many times, which is when it's done right, you as a music director, there's nothing better than having another music director in your band. Absolutely. There's nothing better because if they have, all have this mindset, if they all, that's what I'm saying. If it's the right people who yes. think about it the right way, you have another person on your team who yeah. is thinking one level up above the surface yeah. level of what's yeah. happening and yeah. like, looking around and kind of like troubleshooting and all all these kinds of things. Now on the flip side, you and I have both worked with people together and separate who are MDs in other aspects of their life on other gigs. They come into your gig where you're the MD and they have no other mode of functioning besides running the show and being the boss. And that turns into a huge problem. It's an ego trip. It's an ego trip. So not in service of the song, which, which is I wanted to bring up is, you know, we started the conversation, you're hinting at, you're trying to extract the best out of people, make them the best they can possibly be. So it's not about you. You know, leadership is about being in service to others for the betterment of everything, Mm -hmm. right? The performance in this situation. And actually, since we're on this topic now, I'll, I'll sidestep and say, as a music director, I always look to my players to give me the best possible product. I'm a democratic music director. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I am never saying guitar. I want, you know, an octave muted thing on the top there, you know, give me that or go home. Right. I never say that. I say, Hey, can we give this a shot or 
something along these lines or something that you're hearing that might be in that vein. Right. You know, I, the, the guys who come at it from actual written parts and needing that, that's all. Hey man, listen, I do classical music and I do musical theater and that's the name of the game for that. Mm -hmm. And if that's what we need, that's what I deliver. Mm -hmm. But man, if I'm on a pop gig or a jazz gig, it's best serving the song. Mm -hmm. And if I'm best serving the song, give me the players that can best serve the song. Right. You know what I mean? Which comes back to the Quincy thing that yeah. you say all the time, which is yeah. hire the you right hire guys, the right people and, and your job is done. done. Yeah. Yeah, because then you're not going to have to worry about the egos no. or anything like that. It's just you're building yeah. a super team, exactly. you know, and you're building yeah. a Rolodex of super team players that you can just keep plugging exactly. into to yeah. situations. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, I mean, all the themes we, we always talk about yeah. on this show, it just this is what it comes down to is you got to be a super team player yeah, mm -hmm. to be able to adapt to any kind yeah. of situation. Uh, and I feel like the higher you go, up, yeah. you know, as you progress through your career, yep. the fewer and fewer people there are in your circle because this is not an easy thing for people to do. You know what I mean? Like it, it is, but it's not an easy concept for people to like really adapt and, and make it in their bones, right. you know, like your own personal philosophy of, yeah. I'm going to make the situation great. That's yeah. what I want to do. Cause yeah. everybody expects you as a professional music musician to be able to play the music, right? That's fine. Okay, good. Uh, but the mental stuff, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like service of the song, service of the vibe, uh, can you, are you a good hang, you know, outside yeah. of the, the performance? These are all the things. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's cool to hear yeah. again, you know, that, that this is where it's at. Cause yeah, it is getting the right people. Yeah. Cause then everybody's job's easier. Exactly. You know, yeah. if you have a band where everybody's the MD and everybody yeah. trusts just like you guys do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Of course the show yeah, is exactly. going to go successfully. Right. And then yeah. if it, but if, and for whatever reason, if something doesn't go right on stage, you have a team of people that are already thinking of a solution. Exactly. And, if exactly. you've worked with each other in the past, yep. you're all pretty much on the same page without yeah. even having to say anything. Yeah. And, you know, I, I also want to hit a little bit on this because I, I feel like a lot of our listeners, a lot of you guys as listeners uh, are coming at it from listening hey, you're re to- You're a repeat guest now, yeah. man, okay? Like, you're, you're, you're just get a couple jokes in and yeah, you'll be man. fine. <laughs> Friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, your favorite rock band, man, the Beatles, Zeppelin, Stones, whatever. When those guys started, they didn't have a music director. This is not a. This is like a newer concept. All right, this the concept of the music director. You know, yes, it came from classical conducting and all that stuff, right? Duke Ellington orchestra band leading and all that. But when you had a rock band, mm -hmm. okay, they were coming up with this stuff and they were uniformly creating the sound, right? Now you have, say, Paul Schaefer doing mm -hmm. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, okay. Do you think Paul Schaefer is telling McCartney how to play his songs? Do you know what I mean? Right. As a music director, you have to also, I feel, come at it from that angle, man. You know, if you're music directing the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Motown, whatever it is, whatever you're mm. music directing, you need to go through the songs and the artists that wrote them, man. You know what I mean? Or even with, with some of the gigs that we do, some of these songs... You need to, you know, have the uniformity of the band. So I, I really, I personally feel like the idea of in rock and roll or R&B having like this one person that is dominating it, like you would a classical conductor is the wrong way to go about it. Because mm -hmm. that's not, you're not creating the truth behind the music. Right. You know what I mean? You're yeah. kind of. Because it's stifling everyone's own voice. 
Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, can you unpack what you mean by the truth behind the music? That's a really cool oh, phrase. Jeez, <laughs> I was wondering if you're gonna call me out on uh, that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Oh man, I, I, might, I like what you said. I, I, I just I feel might like... ostracize some people with what I'm about to say. <laughs> um, let me say, starting off, do I, more I do work. <laughs> I work a lot in musical theater, and I I love the musical theater genre. One thing I feel musical theater does currently with jukebox musicals is it takes the heart and soul out of the music. Just going to say it. You know, that's, mm. I, I think, you know, you take a song like Ain't No Mountain High Enough and modulate four times and put a choir behind it and throw strings and, and a huge amount of horns and all this other stuff behind it, you're going to lose a little bit of the, you know, the, 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 the the soul of it man what that song was created you know what i mean it was created by a group of nine or ten musicians in a small basement room in detroit you know what i mean yeah like it wasn't created on this huge stage with a 40-piece orchestra okay so when you overdo it i think you lose the truth mm -hmm. i think there's a truth behind how that song was created at motown that now you have not created again do you know what i mean you've you've yeah, kind definitely. of definitely yeah yeah, it's just almost it's almost too perfect. It's too produced. You know what I mean? So how much uh, of the responsibility of the music producer or music director uh, is it to make sure that the performance is truthful in those kind of situations? Man, I I feel like that's the job. <laughs> so how do you go like, about doing that? Well, it's you know, it's vision, man. It's it's like it's like being a producer. And it really depends on how much force you have within your music directing capacity because I've worked on gigs where I've had a vocal director and I've been the music director and the two of us now need to come together and formulate the song mm -hmm. and they need the vocal director needs to go there and do the vocals I need to go there and do the music we need to come together if I am taking full on reins and I'm vocal directing the artist and then writing the backgrounds I now need to have a vision you know before I've even seen the band, how are these vocals going to fit in the bottom of the mix with the with the band? Where are they going to stand? Another thing that I heard, I think I actually read this in Hitman, David Foster's biography, was um, the vocal is always king, okay? Anything that's happening musically is going to happen around the vocal, okay? So you listen to Thriller, you listen to any of the greatest albums of all time, all those awesome lines are happening around the vocal, okay? Mm -hmm. So I can't just willy-nilly stack background vocals and stack harmonies and write all these, you know. You have to imagine where is all that stuff sitting within the music, you know what I mean? And if you overwrite it, if I have stacks of vocals and then I have horns blaring and strings going crazy and then, you know, drum chops all over the place, now I just have a mess. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? As opposed to, you know, maybe the artist and I have had a sit down as we're working out what the song's going to be. And it's like, all we're really hearing is acoustic guitar and upright bass and maybe a cello. And that's where we're at. You know what I mean? And then that's my job. My job is as I'm working with the artist on a piano, which isn't even being used in that mix, where is all this stuff fitting in? Okay, so this is also a good point yeah. is is meeting with the artist for maybe mm -hmm. the first time or throughout the process. Can sure. you talk about what are some of the most important things that a musical director needs to do when, when dealing directly with the artist and extracting their vision and creating it into a reality? Um, 
well, I, I usually I'll call I call them production meetings, and it, these are these usually happen at the top, in the middle, and at the end of the of the whatever I'm doing, the show or whatever. Um, I need to extract what they are trying to say. You know, of vocals overall are trying to say something. The song is trying to say something. Um, so I need to figure out what are you trying to say in this song? Is this coming from emotionally a part of your life that is intimate? Is it coming from a part of your life that you're trying to embrace your audience and 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 hit a through line with your audience members? Is it a party song? Are we just, I mean, there's so many songs that really aren't intimate at all. It's just, you know, some of the artists we play with, man, it's just yeah. party music. You know what I mean? Um, is it a, a more formal, legitimate song? And that could be in a big band style. That could be in old jazz. It could be in a classical style. Well, I said the truth behind the song. What is this? What What are you trying to represent in this music? Mm -hmm. And who are you as an artist? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What is your vision of what you will become? Because we talk about this all the time as well. I thoroughly am behind the music industry creating artists. You know what I mean? That's what it is, you know? Yeah, the 70s, man, with Joni Mitchell... It was awesome. That Laurel Canyon sound was like the old hippie stuff. That was still creating artists, man. That was still a folk revolution. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is no different than what, say, you know, who Katy Perry is, who Miley Cyrus is, who all these pop stars are nowadays. They are still being created as an artist. And that's that's hard to do, man. Anybody who's saying pop music is easy doesn't understand creating that. Right. Do you know what I mean? That's a whole other thing. You know, so I need to understand where you're coming from as your music director. Are there any questions that specific questions that you that you ask artists? It's, a con it's like basically what we're doing right now. It's a just con a hang. you converse you converse about it. I write down little things that are coming to me, little things that may have happened in your life that you want to portray. Um, yeah, artists that you're influenced by, mm -hmm. and your overall. What do you tr like? Who are you trying to be? You know, outside of all of these influences, what do you, where is your nail that's going to stick up in this industry? So w before you, mm -hmm. you do your first sit down with an artist, assuming yeah. that, you, that you don't really know them, right. do you do research on them? And, and if so, like, what, what's your process to kind of like unpack where they're coming mm -hmm. from before the meeting? Depends on how much they have, man. I mean, a lot of artists I work with maybe just have a SoundCloud. Some artists I work with have already gotten to a level of fame that they are established in what they're doing. And in that case, all I'm doing is <clears throat> putting my little spin, my little Nick Petrillo spin on what you have created. If you're a gospel artist, if you're an R&B artist, whatever it is, we're now just taking that and just the things that I hear musically, I am now putting those in as long as it's okay with the artist. People, if, if you're a singer songwriter with a guitar Sky's the limit, man. I mean, I could do as much research as I can, but it, it, it's the sky's the limit, dude. You can go anywhere with an artist like that. You know what I mean? You can take the guitar out of their hands. You can put them behind a piano. You could do whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like a, and it's, and it's what they want. Most importantly, the music director needs to be 100% 
giving the artist what they are. You know what I mean? You need to be a chameleon. You know what I mean? If you're putting like, if you, if you have a gospel artist and you're putting like, like even jazz stuff in there, then you've already, you've, you've ruined it. Do you know what I mean? You're already influencing what the artist is doing. So how do you, as the musical director or a producer in this situation, yeah. um, start to build your own kind of sound if you're adapting to an artist, right? So let's take Quincy Jones, for example, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know a Quincy Jones production when you when you hear one, but at the same time, he's, you know, adapting to each artist that's, yeah. that's, uh, he's, that he's working with. So how do, you, how do you go about doing that? Man, I think Quincy is just... And you want to be a music director or a producer, just look at Quincy and David Foster. I mean, both of their careers are immense. Um, but Quincy, man, like, look at Soul Bossa Nova. Mm-hmm. You know, Soul Bossa Nova, I, until I think Aubrey called that on a gig. To be honest, I didn't even know he had written that song. Yeah, I just knew it was the like, Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah, it's an Austin Powers. I yeah. mean, I would have never for And, you know, guy worked with Lionel Hampton. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then he does Thriller. <laughs> Which is like what I mean, all his all his stuff with Michael Jackson, yeah, you could tell it's Quincy Man, right? But then he does Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I mean, who's you know what I mean? But so and like I, the the question though is like yeah, what in all the diversity? What's the commonality and the thread that's like his sound? That's what's tr- try to find it though, man. Yeah. I don't know. Right. I mean, I feel like he's the kind of guy who has embraced music to such an extent that he can blend into the mix. You know what I mean? I I think when you're when you find your right sound as a music director you have now attained the uh, the ability to become a chameleon. Mm-hmm. You have. If you can write a chart for for, you know, Frank Sinatra and then you could go um you know, put together tracks and run the production show for Jay-Z. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a through line in you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it's you had to know music to, and you had to know the history of music, man. Like, dude, Questlove did a great podcast. I think it was on. Uh, I listen to Fresh Air a lot, which is NPR. I think he did a podcast with them. This dude is so music history driven, man. I mean, he could tell you everybody who produced everybody else, personnel on records. I mean, he is what an amazing mind. You know, and then you can, once you have all that information and you know, like, oh, well, we're doing like a, like a Jill Scott thing. Well, then, you know, you, you go to Jill Scott. Yeah, yeah. You know, all of Jill Scott's records, man. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you go that direction. It's just knowing music enough, I guess. Yeah. Knowing that. I don't, yeah. I, that hasn't really answered your question at all, but I, I, no, it's fine. I don't think there's a trademark, man. I really, I, I think if you're going to trademark, then you're going to, you kind of pigeonhole yourself. I got to be honest. I think if you, and that's the I think answer if, we need right there. Yeah. I think if, I think if I trademarked my musical sound, then I would only be in that genre. Yeah. I think the that's commonality is. is probably more, uh, it's, it's like less obvious. It's yeah. The work ethic. Yeah. And the, the, the process. Whatever, you know, yeah. Oh, the man. process. Yeah. I think when somebody hires Dave Wright, a music direct, it's because we, show up early. We answer our emails. The charts are clean. We're, you know, we're able to interpret the artist's needs. We put on great shows. I mean, I think that's the mark of a great music director. 
there's commonality in all of that as yeah. opposed to like the sound of yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay, so uh, spinning off into another direction yeah. here, where we've been doing a segment uh, called "What Are You Working On?" So since we've last uh, spoken with you, <laughs> what have you been working on, like as far as like your own uh, musicianship? How have you been improving? <clears throat> what have you been doing? Um, well, Dave, can I talk about this on the podcast? <laughs> I don't know what you're going to talk about. But yeah, I don't care. Sure. Uh, Dave and I have recently <laughs> started a jazz group together. Oh yeah, yeah, you can talk about this. Um, and. To be honest, it's something I've wanted to do for a, a very long time. I just, obvi- I, I honestly haven't devoted any time to my personal musicianship. You know what I mean? So right now we're just working on all of this crazy hard jazz, you know, and odd time signatures and crazy forms and stuff. And uh, we're just trying to get our influences under control and uh, looking to get the EP out by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I, I think I'm just working right now on on growing musically, you know, getting to that next step of hearing other harmonies, hearing um, other types of rhythms, you know, all this kind of stuff that I, I've kind of put on the back burner since I've been working in pop music. Um, so I'm doing that. Um, I'm doing, I just finished doing Strings on Ariana Savalas' record, which was an amazing experience. So doing some production on that. Um, I'm doing some co-writing with a few of our mutual friends as far as library music is concerned. And um, just gigging and doing doing the music directing thing, man. Yeah. That's pretty much where it is. Your guy's on fire right now. (laughs) You got it. It's like coming off you. I can see it. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So... It's great, man. Player in the game, man. Love yeah, it. you're winning for sure. That's <laughs> killing. One thing I wanted us to talk about. Yeah. You know, we kind of alluded to it earlier, like yeah. the trust on stage and when things are going wrong that mm-hmm. people can correct. I wanted you to talk about what you are thinking about during the performance when you're a music director. Like what are all the different kinds of things going through your mind? What are you focusing on? Well, like I, I think I said off the mic at the beginning of this interview, I personally believe if all the work has been done through the rehearsal process, um, the show should play itself. I mean, all of the, all of the pieces should be working. Um, during a show, I am staying in the moment 100% of the time to the point where I have no – it's funny. When you're in the moment, you have no concept of linear time. Flow. You state, really don't. That's what it is. I mean, it's just that moment's passed. I was a little dirty. We're going to keep moving. And you don't even think about what just happened. You're like, I am conducting this downbeat. That's happening. That's happening. That's happening. He's coming in. He's coming in. I got to do this. Um, it's it's more like a almost like a stage management call sheet, if you guys even, even mm-hmm. know how that works. Um, it's like. All right, we're calling this in. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're doing. We're counting this tempo in. That's she's gonna patter for a second. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. It's it's just a direct flow until the end of the show, and that's all it is. I'm not. I am not judging people. I'm not getting thrown by mistakes. I'm not getting in my own, you know, awesomeness or lack thereof of my solos. I'm not. There isn't applauding or getting angry. There is only the show and the next part of the show. That's all I'm worried about. And then once all is said and done, then I 
debrief and I think, okay, how did that go? How did that, you know, was everything yeah. clean? If you're in the moment, you don't have time I, to pff, analyze the moment that never. just happened. Yeah. No, because then the next moment's going to be off. Well, yeah, for you me, know? you know, once, let's say we start a song and mm-hmm. once within the first like eight or 16 yeah. bars, when that's stabilized, yeah. I'm immediately thinking about what I have to do Absolutely. next. Yes. Meaning like when the yeah. song is over, what's going to happen? Is it going to be a direct segue? Is we pausing for yeah. whatever, you know, yeah. and just thinking, you know, it's yeah. actually exhausting. Absolutely. I mean, is. mentally, yeah. it's mentally exhausting. Dude, because, by the end of a one hour show, it's yeah. like you've worked an eight hour shift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it's, it's just so, it's such a laser focus mm-hmm. all the time. Yep. Yeah. yeah you, there's no time to drift because... These moments, you know, it, say you say you have a five minute break in the middle. If you're looking on your phone or you're, <laughs> yeah, zoning out and being like, oh, I can't wait to have you know my Pinot at the end of this show, or you know, go when we go over, go and, yeah, Cuco. go go to Don Cuco. <laughs> if you start thinking about that, man, your five minutes are up. You've missed your cue to get back in. Yeah. So just like Dave said, man, if I if I get the luxury of a one minute break, yeah, I'm on that next song like. Giving my count exactly. I mean, you yep. know this. Yep. You know what I mean? I'm like, there's my metronome mark. I'm giving everybody the tempo. Anybody who can't see us, but I don't know if I've trademarked this. I can't say I have. <laughs> I've never seen anyone. But you're the first person I, I've seen do this. You know, rather than snapping my fingers or, or doing a faux conducting type thing, I take my index finger and my thumb and I just beat tempo in my left hand usually um, over the bell of the piano or under if the bell is open so that everybody can just feel that tempo. And I do it for 45 seconds or so. Yeah. So wow. everybody just feels where that time is. And then when we're ready to go, I give my three, four and everybody's locked in and ready to go. Yeah. So if I get that luxury, it's great. If I don't and we're counting right in, usually I give like maybe four clicks like that and yeah. then count in. But I'm never sitting on my hands or looking at the audience or remin- I'm never doing that. Yeah. There's no time. Yeah. And if you do have a break, you're still thinking about what comes next. Absolutely. There's a famous story about Steve Gadd doing that on uh, like a James Taylor thing. Yeah. He had a, it's like you were saying a five minute break of talking or whatever. Yeah. And he's back there just like tapping the tempo on his leg. Yeah. And it feels amazing from the beginning of the song. Yeah, Cause he's already been playing the tune in yeah. his head for five minutes, you yeah. know, and he's locked in yeah. and there's not, that thing of like the first four bars go by mm-hmm. and then everyone sort of settles into it. Exactly. Yeah. It's a commitment to the performance, commitment to being a professional Absolutely, and everything. Man. It's the Zen yeah. of uh, musical directing. Yes. Well, and what, what I said to you the other yeah. night that I think you were taken aback by, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> we were actually out for drinks and my wife was there. who's a vocalist and my son was there and he actually brought this up to me a few times since then. Cause I think I made an impression on him. Wow. We were talking about, I was talking actually about being a sideman under you music directing on this particular oh. thing. But I said, when I'm, uh, we were talking about the expectation of delivering and doing the job right and things yeah. being perfect and everything. And I said to him, I, I said to you, I said, um, when we're in a show like that for that 75 minutes, yeah. I said, I'm a blackwater sniper <laughs> and I shoot to kill and I don't miss. <laughs> I love it. That's what I said. And I love that. Yep. That's my mentality, it's, dude. Yeah, that's man. Like, hell yeah. It's like, for real, like I'm not, yeah. there's ice in my veins. I'm there to do yeah. a job. Yeah. I'm there to execute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exactly. that's all there is to it. Yeah. And then you had an interesting comment. You're like, well, if that's how you think when you're playing, then you'll never grow musically or something. Did I say to that? that? Yeah, you did. <laughs> but, my, <laughs> but my response to that is, 
there are times, there's a time and place to stretch yourself and grow musically. And there's a time and place to stay within your headroom of what you can do and make a hundred percent sure that everything comes out. Everything that comes out of you is perfect. And that you're delivering and and you also make fun of me one time we were in a session we had to listen back to a take and i go we did like three takes of a song and yeah. i said use whatever you want man i stand behind every note i right. play <laughs> i always think that's funny though man <laughs> well you reference that a lot jokingly but that's kind of the same mentality man yeah. when i'm in the studio or when yeah. i'm doing a a show like that mm-hmm. when it's i think it's a habit that's been developed yeah. when it's time to turn it on yeah dude, it's on, it's on and there's no yeah. stopping it right. ever. Right. But that's also why we are doing the things like starting this group together where we yeah. are allowing ourselves a little bit of freedom to stretch and grow and explore musically yeah. and do all that. Yeah. But I mean, the name of the game is knowing when and when not to do that. <laughs> yeah. I think we, when we were talking with Billy that night, I think I had said, um, I, I never try things on a gig. Right. You know what I mean? If I'm working on something, there's another action. One of my teachers at Berkeley said this. They said it takes six months for anything you're working on to actually become, get invested in your playing. Hmm. So if you just started something today, mm-hmm. you're not going to get that until, it's it's not going to start showing up in your playing until February as a fluid thing. Hmm. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It takes that amount of time for it to actually become part of that. Right. right? Um, so on. I'm never on the piano saying, oh, let me try this crazy line that may work. I'm never doing that. Like if I hear somebody do something, I'll do something, quote unquote, in my comfort zone or something that I know works in that moment that I'm hearing. But I think the same thing with you. I think that's how you're able to be a sniper on Mm -hmm. these gigs Mm -hmm. because you know what's working and you pinpoint that immediately. Yeah. I look at it as a job that has to be done and exactly. I do my job. Yeah. Know? But, yeah. and we've talked about that in the studio too. Like I, you and I, I think are opposite Yeah. in studio approach where I tend to do a first and maybe second take yeah. that are sort of safety takes that I know are going to be clean and perfect. And then if they're like, okay, we got a couple of good ones now try something. And yeah. then I'll go, I'll just try different ideas or go for things. Yeah. And I can do that with the freedom of knowing that we have some in the can that are good. And you actually are the opposite of that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Do you want me to talk about that? I do want you to talk about that (laughs) because it blows my mind. (laughs) Well, in the studio, man, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I feel like the studio is the place to try things. You know what I mean? If I'm working, if I'm doing takes on piano and I'm, let's just say I'm isolated. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm doing takes in a room where I can't do that. Right. If I'm doing isolated piano takes, I say the more the merrier, man. Like, Here's an option for verse one. Here's an option for verse two, whatever. And I'm formulating that arrangement quite like I'm like I do in live settings as we go. You know Mm. what I mean? So by that third take usually is when I'm in full motion, like third take, I'm like blazing through because I figured out what I'm going to do. Right. But those first two takes are either options or trial points for me. But I love to have diversification in the takes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause you could, you could pull stuff, man. You know what I mean? You could fly things over. You can do whatever you want. Unless I'm in a jazz setting. Like I've done some of those tunes with Aubrey where we've been with the jazz trio in the same room. You gotta be on. I mean, you're just yeah. doing it. Yeah. So you treat that like a gig. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but if I'm doing overdubs, I'm doing clav overdubs, man. I absolutely am trying different things and right. different chord hits and reharms and stuff. And people like Dale, man, are going to hear that and mark that and be like, I'm pulling that in from take two into right. my good take four. Right. You know, and then we formulated something. I don't know, it's just a, I guess a creative process, man. Yeah. But again, it comes down, and I think we talked about this with Billy too. It comes down with the difference of piano slash keys and drums, dude. Drums are the backbone. Well, I was actually just going to say something similar to that. You I know? mean, it's if you're trying to give, you have the op, the luxury yeah. of isolation yeah. and clean Absolutely. cuts and things like that. Mm-hmm. For me, it needs to be rock solid the first time for everybody else's sake. And also you can't have like um, fluctuating dynamics because if you're anything you're doing, that's eliminating the ability to cut and paste is a problem. If there's a symbol ringing over that wasn't there in the first take, now that whole, however long that symbol's ringing, that phrase is unusable. Mm -hmm. So, well, I think the, the common thread here, and this has been the the theme of the entire episode, which is by the way, awesome. I mean, thank you. Oh yeah. Uh, is that there? It's it's like music. It's fluid, right? Being a musical uh, director, yeah. And even you know, when you're in the studio cutting tracks, or you're you're dealing with a band live, the, the common theme is professionalism and being in service to the song. However, we get there is how we get there, but mm-hmm. that has to be you know the A game um, and the sniper, uh, yeah. aim, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, because that's what we're all trying to do, right? Yeah, it's man. just, it's just create the best possible situation and lift everybody up around us. Yeah. So whether it's, you know, you're going for like, I got to get the take done first so then that my mind's free to try the third time or the opposite of that, like how you're going, you guys are both coming at this, you know, with the same result in mind. Yeah. Let's, let's create something great right. you know, and let's go from there. So there's there's no room for um, for mediocre playing or mediocre thinking, or mm-hmm. you, you have to go for the greatness. Yeah, uh, and you do that, and you're going to attract people that are like minded, right? Their approach might be a little bit different. Yeah, but as long as everybody's in service to the moment, yeah, then then we're all good, dude. So uh, cool. I mean, yeah. I, I, I yeah, think man. it's the, you guys complement each other so well. <laughs> it's really interesting to see. I think we talked about that last time, but it, it's the truth. You know, yeah. I mean, like you come at it this way, you come at it this way, and yeah. then, but you know, that's why you guys are 18. Well, I always tell him when I like his shirt, I try to be complimentary. <laughs> you look nice today. He was pretty direct guy. about the jokes, though. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> He's jealous. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dave, any final thoughts for today? No, get out of here. <laughs> we'll get another shot. Yeah. <laughs> was it 130 now? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh right. man, so good. Uh, every so time much, you're around, it's, it's it's awesome. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, and it's great to see. Like, just every time I'm, I'm around you, the energy level is higher and higher. And it's like, <laughs> guys got his swag. All right, <laughs> oh, pro, <man>. get <laughs> out so of the way. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, any final thoughts for people listening? Oh man, I mean, I think they have all my stuff from the last podcast. If Truth. You reach yes. out. Yep. yep. Uh, Nick P Music is my Instagram and Twitter handle. NickPetrilloMusic.com's website. And um, yeah, thanks so much, guys. Thanks for being here. All right, yes. All right, we'll catch all you guys later. See you. Thanks for listening to Musician Mindset with Dave Johnstone and Jason Land. You can contact the show through Facebook and Instagram at Musician Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes.